Matthew 7, uh, 13 to 29, if you want to turn in your Bibles. And I decided um, that a, a title for this sermon, uh, Two Paths with One Right Choice. All right, and um, as we get ready to start this message, it's our final message in the Restored series. I don't know if you remember this, but was it maybe back in May of last year? Sometime about that time that we started this Restored series, and we thought we're going to look through the book of Matthew, and we're going to look for different stories in there that demonstrate um, what Jesus is restoring as he's on earth. And so we saw him restore sight. Prophetic hope, health, a number of different um, things that he was busy restoring as he's busy even now restoring all things. And then we were looking at what are Jesus' disciples doing as they join him as restored restorers, as they're participating in his restoration work. And so we skipped around but looked at a lot of different stories. And we said we're going to come back to the Sermon on the Mount to finish off this series. And so we've been taking a slow walk through Matthew chapters 5 to 7, and this Sermon on the Mount has been called the greatest discourse ever given. And so um, Jesus has been teaching and has been teaching about our relationship with him, our heart, having our heart restored and the right relationship with him. And he's been tweaking some teaching that was wrong, and also helping to call out some things that would interfere with proclaiming the good news is here. And so on that mountain, you remember who he's speaking to. He's talking to the crowd that had experienced all this great healing and miracles that were following him. But they also, his disciples were right there. And so as we listen to this, um, this message, I want you to remember that Jesus started the sermon with um, blessed, 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 you know, or blessed. (laughs) Derek, as you reminded us, why do we call it blessed? I don't know. That's just the way we heard it pronounced, and we just kept going with it. But um, he wants to bless, bless, bless us. And so um, it requires us trusting him and obeying him. And so as we listen to this um, last portion of the sermon, I'd like you to listen through a couple of lenses today. So you're the crowd. Maybe you're the ones that have been healed from blindness, from paralysis, um, from leprosy, whatever it was that he did for you and your family, the hard things. Remember, they brought the hard cases to him. And so um, they also brought people that needed deliverance. And so you used to be all confused and oppressed, and now you're clear-minded and thinking right. And so you're sitting there, and I want you to hear it through those lens of the crowd and also through the disciples and the lens of the disciples as those students are watching their master teacher. All right? Listen to how he points people to the kingdom of God and to salvation. His preaching is so amazing that everybody is convinced of his authority by the time he gets through. And so let's take special note of this message Matthew 7, starting with verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
many translations, instead of small as the gate, it says narrow as well. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a crash, a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So two paths with one right choice. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus, who was motivated out of love, he was anointed with authority from the kingdom of heaven. He was empowered by the Spirit. He's speaking very clearly and very boldly. He teaches about two ways, and that's a theme that they'd be really familiar with because in the Jewish teaching, they talked traditionally about a way of righteousness and the way of the wicked. Psalm 1-6 is an example of that. The Jewish crowd would recognize that this was serious that it was very serious when he started to talk about the way, the gate, the road. And Jesus directs every person present with the most important thing he could say. And he says it right out of the gate, enter through the narrow gate. So he tells them, this is what you need to do. And then he goes on to unpack it. Look for that narrow gate, the one that's not obviously entered, The one that you have to search for, with intentionality, you enter it. Nobody just accidentally stumbles through that gate. Jesus says the narrow gate is the gate to life, and only a few find it. In contrast, there's this big wide gate, and the wide gate is easily entered. You don't have to have much effort. You can just go through that, 
And without giving it much thought, you just get swept up with the crowds. When I read that, it made me think about a time that Dane and I were in Newark, New Jersey. And we had thought it would be cheaper to drive instead of fly there and stay on that side instead of going on into New York City. But to get the bus tokens or whatever for the next day, we had to go to the airport to get these bus tokens to ride the bus into New York City. It was expensive that way. I wouldn't recommend it. But (laughs) there was all these lanes of traffic, and it was right where two um, highways merged, and so there were like double the amount of lanes, and everybody's flying along, and we could see the airport. We could see where we needed to go, but could we find that exit? (laughs) No, we could not. And so we went around and then north and then got back off and then we head south. And it's like, where is the exit? I think we went around like three times before we finally found what I would call that narrow exit. But if we hadn't gotten on that narrow exit, we never would have gotten to our destination. It was really important. And when I thought about um, missing our destination, it made me think about what Jesus is trying to tell him. He's also telling them that you go through a narrow gate, but it's also going to be a narrow road. And that can also be translated a hard road. The ESV uses that word. The English Standard Version is what I'm talking about, a Bible translation. So that word translated narrow or hard means constricting, pressed upon to experience trouble or distress, So Jesus is emphasizing it's going to be difficult at times to follow me. The Christian way is often misunderstood, but it involves at times rejection and even persecution. But this narrow way is leading to the kingdom of heaven. You enter the kingdom through the narrow gate by faith in Christ. Gates in the ancient time let people into fortified cities so they'd have cities that had walls all around them and had gates. And in John 10, 7, Jesus identified himself as the gate. And so he said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So if you want to go to the city of God, you enter through Jesus. And when you find that narrow gate and enter, it's referring to following Jesus, finding Jesus, following Jesus, And then you're in him, and he's in you. And he's the only way to eternal life with the Father. Okay, so that's the narrow. The broad is a wide road, and it can give you a false sense of security. People are prone to think it's probably pretty safe if they're in a crowd, right? Right? Um, But feelings can lie. A multitude or a crowd is not a safeguard from danger. This path leads to destruction, and Brett, your testimony this morning, thank you for being vulnerable and open, but you found some people, so you were kind of in a crowd, but you were in a wrong crowd, and it was leading on a bad path, and um, praise God that he got you off that path, but that wide gate, that wide road, it's referring to a decision, it's not following Jesus' way and his teachings, and it leads to destruction. And that word means utter perishing, ruined, the eternal misery of hell. And Daniel, what you shared this morning about this 
dire thirst and how awful that description sounded. And to think about what is um, going to be the eternal state of those that do not follow Jesus. I appreciated that you called us to think about that and to let that motivate us to help save people. Jesus' grace to each of us today is this very serious warning and an invitation to get off the highway to hell and enter through the narrow gate of Jesus to life and to help others find the way. This is Jesus' main point that he's trying to make here as he close up is there's these two paths and only one choice. And so what he does from here is he tells what some people might think This is kind of random thought, like three little stories, you know, what's the connection? But actually there's, there is, it's very logical. He tells what the, you know, follow through the narrow gate, find that and make the right choice. And then he's going to give us three parables, three simple little stories that everybody's supposed to understand the main idea of. And so um, that number three also means completion. In the Bible. And so he's making a complete case of why you want to find that narrow road. And so the parables are these verses 15 to 20, it's talking about false and true prophets. 21 to 23 is talking about false and true disciples. And then 24 to 27 is talking about wise and foolish builders. And so there's two kinds of prophets. And back then, at that time, by that time, they were calling religious teachers prophets as well, so a spokesperson for God. And so these are people out who are like directing traffic. And so they're influencers, all right? And so are they pointing to the wide path? Are they pointing to the narrow path? And so the false prophets, the the influencers for the broad way are... um, They appear harmless, like sheep, but they're actually ferocious wolves. They bear bad fruit, and that means that they're a worthless tree. They never were a good tree that got diseased. They were a scrub tree from the beginning. All right? It's bad fruit, and it hurts you when you get close. So that idea of the thorns or the thistles, like when you try to get close, you get hurt. You get burned. Can you imagine? There's people like that, aren't there? that want to try to lure you in a certain way. Maybe they're being super nice, but you get hurt the closer you get. That's bad fruit. These deceivers, these false prophets who mislead others, will burn in hell. True prophets, people that are spokespeople for God's kingdom, there's no deception or harm. They're sincere. Their directions are pointing you on the narrow path to Jesus, the narrow gate. There's good fruit, and that's how you identify. There's love, there's kindness, there's joy, there's peace. There's good fruit from their life, and that good fruit is because they're connected with true faith in God. And that's how you can tell the difference between false prophets and true prophets. You look at the fruit of the tree. You look at the fruit of their lives. And so true prophets are pointing people to eternal life. So be very careful who you follow. In Jesus' day, false prophets were some of the Pharisees who were trying to get money and land from the people. So they were supposedly representing the 
people's best interest. Yep, but they were trying to get their land and their money. I want to tell you a story about a time that I was going to Kent County Jail every week to disciple a friend. Um, She had been a prostitute, and her trafficker had gotten her into drug addiction. And so I went there weekly to do Bible study with her. And she told me about this women's program for rehab that she was going to participate in while she was in jail. And she would earn points for attending, and then they would um, get prizes when they got out. And they could pick them up when they got released. And so um, the program was under a different name, but the gift location for pickup was at Planned Parenthood. And so I took her to get her prize, and um, she was so excited to get this sweatshirt that she had earned. Well, as you might guess, that prize, that sweatshirt, ended up just being a T-shirt. So she was, like, totally disappointed from the moment she saw it. But then that box was full of things that would lead her right back to her line of work that she only knew. And then it had a little brochure that if she happened to get pregnant, they cared very much about her, and she could come back, and they'd help her. Those people were ferocious wolves. They were leading her and trying to get her right back on the destructive path that she had been down before many times. I was so upset. And she was so upset because it was like, this is all you are made for. This is the only thing you can do good. There was no good fruit. There was nothing that came from that. And it made me feel like false prophets, like somebody, an influencer, an organization trying to influence, but influence for bad. Another example of me going to the jail at that time was that I rode up the elevator one day with a gentleman that what I thought he was carrying was a Bible. And so we struck up a conversation. And, yeah, I came here every week. So did he. I came to disciple. So did he. And then I realize that he is carrying the Book of Mormon. And I think there are two kinds of prophets. There are two kinds of people trying to lead people and help people. One is leading to a, a road of destruction, and one is leading to Jesus. If you don't know much about Mormons, you can ask later, but it's a cult They believe that the canon wasn't closed when the books of the Bible finished and their prophets and seers saw enough to write four books, and that's what they follow. It is not Christianity. So beware of false prophets who intentionally mislead. There's two paths, and there's one right choice. All right? Now, this isn't just theologically interesting. This is what we in the world face every day. And this is what our neighbors face every day. There's two kinds of disciples, he goes on, in 21 to 23. Disciples are students of a rabbi, and they engage in the work of their rabbi, the one that they follow, their master teacher. They spend time every day together. They're talking, they're learning, they're sharing life together. And it's this close relationship that would cause them, the rabbi to say, I know you. I know you like roommates that have lived together for a long enough time that you know your preferences and so forth because you've spent significant time together. It's not talking about knowing sexually, 
But this word in the, um, the gnosko is more of just a deep knowing, like a deep familiarity. And, um, and so Jesus warned that there's two kinds of disciples. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And so let's look at a comparison between these false disciples and the true disciples. So I'm just going to tell you about the false disciples. Those prophecies that they had, words can be self-generated and attributed to God. And so that's what they were doing. Supernatural power can come from sources other than God. Think back to Pharaoh and um, the wise men, the sorcerers, the Egyptian magicians in Exodus 7, 9 to 11. Remember Moses and the, those magicians and so forth and throwing down the staff and it becomes a snake and that story? All right, so there's alternative sources of power, demonic power. And we're going to see this more as the time um, of Jesus returns and draws near. Matthew 24, 24 says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So this is very pertinent for us to know and be watching for today. It wasn't just for the people then. Jesus is telling us, pay attention and watch. The evildoers cried, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, I never knew you. God cannot be gaslighted. If you didn't spend time with him, he can't be faked out at that moment. He can't be flattered to just somebody call Lord, Lord in a public place. These false disciples um, will be permanently separated from Jesus' presence. Depart from me, away from me, that eternal separation, right? Compare that with true disciples. Obedience marks true disciples. And God's power to cast out demons and do miracles, it comes from the Holy Spirit, available today to all his believers And the church is expected, he said, eagerly desire the gifts, especially that you can prophesy, especially that you can bring messages from me. Also, you have been given all authority. And so go and make disciples. And if that disciple needs deliverance, command deliverance. It's part of God's compassion, his renewing work. Remember, there's those in the crowd that had all kinds of oppression and now are sitting with clear minds listening. True disciples, they operate under authority and the authority of Christ. True disciples know Jesus, and they're joined to him. They're joined to him. And so they will enter the kingdom of heaven. So when you're trying to figure out, if you're trying to discern who's false and who's true, and believe me, there's some quacks out there. Even the prophetic leaders are calling people for reformation. Like, you know, things have gotten a little out of bounds sometimes on the fringe. And so there needs to be good um, obedience to God's word about how to use these gifts. But when you're trying to figure out who's false and who's true, here's a couple of things to look for. Number one, look for who spends time every day walking with Jesus and obeying him. And number two, look for who gets the glory when power is on display. 
There's two paths. There's one right choice. And then we get to two kinds of builders in verses 24 to 27. This is his what they call third couplet, you know, these little comparisons. And here we are at the third one. He's hoping he's making his point and also giving them some precautions at the same time. There's two paths, but one right choice. There's two kinds of builders. It says in 24 to 27, therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I don't know if you learned that little song in Sunday school, you know, the rain came down and the floods came up, you know, and the house on the sand went splat. And that was actually a really fun part of the song. That's a horrible, that's a horrible end. (laughs) And so let's talk about, and, and you'll notice I think this was something else that Jesus was intentional about. He switched the order because he had talked about the false and then the true, the false and then the true. And now he's going to talk about the wise and then the foolish. And so the wise builders, they hear and obey. They put into practice Jesus' teaching. And remember what he had just been teaching. He had been teaching on love, generosity, forgiveness, prayer, fasting, Don't make judgments or assumptions. And so put these things into practice. You'll be a wise builder. Build your house on a rock foundation, on a firm foundation, and the firm foundation is Jesus. This, the wise builders are going to build something that will withstand a storm, and that storm can represent the judgment of God, or it can represent just the storms of living in a fallen world and the things we go through. But Jesus is the rock, and he's the only firm foundation for our lives. Now, I'm going to ask you to put that picture up. Um, If it's not, oh, it is already. Okay, good. Um, The foolish builders, they hear, but they don't obey Jesus' teaching. All right? So they they may come to the mountain, but when they leave the mountain, they're just going to forget it. We can come, this isn't the mountain, but you could come to hear this today. Are we going to put it into practice? Or are we going to be foolish and not listen and obey what he's saying? The foolish builders built on a sand foundation, which is destroyed in the storms of life, and also eternally, it fell flat. And this, um, all other foundations other than Jesus shift. And this is a picture from Michigan. I thought, how wonderful. I don't, I thought about the picture from California, from the erosion and how those mansions were, you know, just about ready to go down. But I thought, hey, we're in Michigan. In 2020, this picture, just before COVID, this was in the news and then (laughs) all the news switched. But erosion on our beaches. And so, you know, People sandbag, they build seawalls, but the storms come, and suddenly this house 
was just down the hill. And this particular person that they interviewed said, I've lived my whole life there. I have nowhere else to go. And so um, think about this. Our living, our homes, wherever you live, whether it's an apartment or you own a house, but that's usually our biggest expense or one of our very biggest expenses. And what can preoccupy sometimes a lot of our thoughts? What if our whole lives are put and focused around something that isn't eternal, that doesn't matter, and isn't going to withstand the final judgment? This is where Jesus had talked about, lay up your treasures in heaven where nothing can corrode or rust. All right? How are we spending our lives? Who or what is the foundation of your security? As you look at the picture, it's good to think about. What is your foundation? Where are you finding your sense of security? There's two paths. There's one right choice. Jesus' disciples, as they sit there, are going to notice that love for people compels Jesus to warn them. Then and now. He says the gate's narrow. It's exclusive. He didn't shy away from that. Our culture wants to be very inclusive. He didn't worry about that. He told them the truth. John 14:6. he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's bold. He's bold to warn of false prophets, even those that are standing on the edges, probably listening in as he's preaching that day on the hillside. And he openly speaks of hell. Also, not very, um, not a popular concept of a final judgment. But when we understand that there is no love, if there is no judgment, if every person that has been terribly, terribly wronged doesn't see judgment and something to have to pay, somebody to have to pay for this that was done, And only if they turn to Jesus and say, I've done wrong, forgive me, Lord, then they're free too. Amen? He calls out false disciples who are going to portray themselves that they're connected to God, but they aren't. And we saw that happen in Acts where, you know, all about the power. I used to be in a Bible study with somebody who was like, i got to have the power, got to have the power. I thought he was joking at first until I, like, week after week, he, all he wanted to talk about was getting the power. And I thought, he's missing the point. But there are going to be people that miss the point. It's, the power is about a demonstration of God's authority over everything because he's creator and he's coming to recreate, restore all things. All right. Jesus tells the crowd to look for people, his followers, whose lives are bearing good fruit, who are spent with Jesus and listening to and obeying his word. And they're empowered by the spirit to do the things that Jesus did himself to bring glory to the father and to point other people to eternal life. And so he began This Sermon on the Mount telling people of the blessings that God desires to pour out. And he finishes his sermon by telling people how they they can withstand the storms of life and the final judgment 
It's very clear. It's very direct. It's always pointing to Jesus for salvation. And it begs the question, what am I counting on for my security? Where is my foundation secure? And it's a question that you might ask people as you engage and meet them. It's urgent. Be wise. Build your life on a firm foundation. Nobody knows when the storms of life are coming. I listened to a podcast from um, a couple of ministers from Australia on um, mega trends that they saw for 2024 and then opportunities for the church. And the trends that they were seeing, um, political, geographical, war, health, um, economy, a lot of different topics, six of them. It was like, you know, down, down, down. Like I was like, this is really a bummer of a podcast. (laughs) But then at the end, it was like, and there's opportunity. Because every time people's lives are in transition, they're, they might be looking at, like, their house getting ready to collapse, their life, their job going down the tubes, whatever. Do you know, do you have a secure foundation? Do you know Jesus? Let me help you point, let me point you to Jesus and that narrow gate. He said, I believe there's a harvest coming in 2024, and it's going to be that the Lord sometimes will use these storms that he allows in his sovereignty, to help open up people's hearts to be willing to hear this good news. And so, are your lives built on the rock? And we had a little test of that this morning, didn't we, Kayleen? (laughs) So this morning, Kayleen was supposed to lead worship. And I should say, hey, worship team, we had a little test of whether our lives are built on the rock or not, because all of a sudden, Kayleen had something come up at home that needed attention, um, and it was serious, needed to get checked out. And, um, and so she called and said, I need to go to urgent care or ER somewhere to get somebody checked. And so, um, bless you, priorities are home. <laughs> And so uh, the Lord will provide who else is on the team. And so I get names, and I text, and uh, I say, hey, Daniel, (laughs) can you play the piano and uh, give musical leadership? And hey, Kevin, can you um, provide spiritual leadership here and give us, you know, our um, any Kairos moments, any direction that needs to be given? Uh, and, And then Jade uh, first time singing on the worship team this morning. Thank you. <laughs> and so, um, if an opportunity, opportunity, how's this? This in the in the big scope of things, it's turned out fine. Everybody's all right. Um, but we had a chance to practice and see what is our foundation. If Jesus is our foundation, are we going to get all ruffled about this? Or are we just going to trust? going to trust. If we had to sing a cappella, we would do it, church, right? He is worthy. We come to make a joyful noise to the Lord, you know, and so our lives are a testimony. When we go through little things, when we go through huge things, our lives can demonstrate where our foundation is. And if it's on the Lord, it's a testimony and a witness to the world that's watching. And so let's close in prayer.
Lord, um, thank you that you give us a firm foundation. And Lord, even when you allow on this narrow path some compression, some testing, some trials, Lord, we pray that our lives would be just so rooted and grounded on you that if we're squeezed, that all that would come out is trust and faith and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, self-control. Lord, I pray that you would, um, for each one here, Lord, that you would just root us more in your word. Lord, that we would grow as disciples who just love to spend every day walking with you, talking with you, no matter whether we're parenting at home, we're doing, um, oh, you know, that stuff that Tony does. <laughs> What's that word? Alg- not algorithms. What do you do? Actuary. Actuary. Lord, the actuary work, the physical therapy work that um, his wife does. Lord, um, whether it's working at a warehouse or whether it's working in mission, Lord, um, whatever it is that you have each of us doing, giving piano lessons, spending time with grandchildren, Lord, I pray that we would just hear your voice, that we'd be reminded of what you say as we spend our days, and that we would just grow as true disciples in such fruit that people wouldn't find prickly, cold pricklies or thorns, but Lord, if they get near us, that it would be good fruit and that they would be drawn to you because of you in us. We praise you, Lord, and we say, please use us to bring hope to those that need hope. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to find people of hope in this neighborhood, and Lord, that you would develop friendships and relationships that would bring glory to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.